Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on uh, Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. Uh, and if you like what you hear today, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> we have a Patreon. Every week, I have a bonus episode where I cover my weekly roundup of everything I'm watching and reading and everything else I'm doing. Uh, and uh, I also want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you so much for keeping the lights on. Uh, and now I can say, <laughs> uh, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate this show. It helps new listeners find us. Um, and a, a top Patreon person, top patron, is on the podcast today. Dang, I can't say any sentences correctly today. There should be like a blooper reel at the end. Um, I have a returning guest with me here today, and that is Philip Barker. (laughs) Hi, Lisa. How you doing? Doing well. And you're also a patron. I am. I am. I really love your show. I I try and listen to it when I can, usually whenever you drop a new episode or even a Patreon episode. So, yes. Thank you for putting out, you know, great show for everyone i really like it a lot i really appreciate it and have appreciated you on several episodes and patreon episodes so i'm glad to have you back yeah you know we've talked about book of boba i want to say book of Boba. it might have been mandalorian a book of boba fett it could have been both to be honest yeah i need to start that up again it's you know i was gonna do kenobi but i feel like now it's too far in the rear view. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm almost going to wait for maybe the next big thing. You know, I wondered if you were going to do it for like Miss Marvel and Moon Knight, but you yeah. Know, yeah. At the time I was, I had too many things going on, but I definitely plan on doing, doing that soon. Uh, but I, I feel like maybe I should wait for the next Marvel show or the next Star Wars show. And then we'll, we'll hop back in. Well, as of this recording, you know, She-Hulk drops tomorrow and then Andor, I think, got pushed to next month. So you should be all right. That's true. That's true. More things coming down the the pipeline. Um, But Philip, if people have not heard you on the show before, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Well, uh, my name is Philip Barker. I, Lisa and I have done a couple different shows together. I've been on her Patreon episodes. Uh, she's been on my show, my one of my shows anyway, Superhero Stress. And we've talked a couple yes. different things. Uh, WandaVision, we, we talked about Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn after that came out. Um, I think you were out there with me and Mike and a couple and one other person for the Suicide Squad. 
Yes, yes, I do remember talking about that as well. Yeah, and yeah, that, you know, we've been we've been mutual friends podcasting for for some years now, and it's just been kind of a nice little back and forth. But yeah, um, I own or I have two shows: Superhero Stress as well as The Eternal Night, which I just started last year with my friend Craig. I've been wanting to do a Batman podcast for a long time, and it's finally come to fruition. And um, I'm also on the Foreigners Network now, you know, doing live streams with them most of the time every Thursdays. Very, very cool. You're a busy man. I am very busy. You're, <laughs> you're right. Very, very busy. <laughs> um, well, Philip, you know, our our guest always picks the movie. Um, and w- which movie did you choose to talk about today? Well, it's funny, you know, because I was scrolling through your library because I had been th- we'd, we'd been trying to do an, ep- an episode on your show for a long time. And I'd throw out a movie and sometimes something would happen or it was already taken. I was scrolling through your through your library and I was like, what movie have can we talk about that Lisa hasn't done yet? And I finally scrolled and scrolled and I thought about it. And I was like, wait a minute. There's Batman versus Superman. There's Superman 78. There's a couple other ones on there. And I was like, what about Man of Steel? Because I really love Man of Steel. And I know Lisa really loves Man of Steel. So I, I reached out to you and I was like, hey, do you want to talk about Man of Steel? You just sent a GIF, actually. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> with Michael Shannon, and I was like, I, I seriously had to do a double take. I'm like, how, how has that not come up on the show before, and how have you not picked that before? I was so surprised. I, and then I was like, yeah, we definitely have to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I picked one of the Star Wars movies for sure, and that, that sounds right. Out. Yeah, I think it might have been Force Awakens. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars, you know, that's tough because, yeah. um, but I, I do feel like Star Wars is one of those franchises that eventually I feel like we'll re-record those episodes. So it's not necessarily off the table because I don't know. I just feel like so many people could have different takes on the same movie, yes. especially something that iconic. So, you yes. know, we could do it eventually. And I, I almost, I almost picked the director's cut, the Snyder. I almost picked the Snyder cut, but I was like, you know, there's Batman versus Superman, but not Man of Steel. It's like, I know, because I know you and I, we've talked about Man of Steel before, and I know you're a fan of it. And so I was like, you know, let's let's talk about Man of Steel because I, I I love the movie a lot. I know you like it a lot, and it's my favorite Superman movie made for sure. But yeah, you know, it, it was it was more or less just kind of going over what what you hadn't done yet and you know, one that really spoke to me in, in a couple personal levels. And, and you know, I, I really do love this movie and I know you're a fan of it too. So I'm really glad we're talking about it today. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about it. So, you know, I do want to let the audience know that we are not going to have a spoiler while we are going to talk spoilers. So it's a good idea to pause here, go watch the movie and come back. But if you're still here, here is the summary for Man of Steel. Uh, with the eminent destruction of Krypton, their home planet, Jor-El and his wife seek to preserve their race by sending their infant son to Earth. The child spacecraft lands at the farm of Jonathan and Martha Kent, who name him Clark and raise him as their own son. Though his extraordinary abilities have led the adult Clark living on the fringe of society, he finds he must become a hero to save those he loves from a dire threat. That's from IMDb, is it not? It's either IMDb or Wikipedia. (laughs) I'm not original with my summaries. Somebody's done this better than I have. And so I always take those. 
I mean, no um, joke. I was just just genuinely curious. Oh no, I know you're not just. <laughs> I just it's the truth. Um, but um, yeah, I think it. I think it was from Wikipedia. Uh, oh. And it's a pretty solid one, though. Sometimes they're mm, a little iffy. That one, I think, was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty. That's a pretty fair assessment of the film, I would say. In, in yeah, terms yeah. of how the film progresses, I think. True, true, true. Uh, so let's let's talk about your history of with Man of Steel. Uh, when did you first see this? I saw it opening night, and I to kind of go back a little bit. It was I, 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 you know, I wasn't really the, the the fan of Superman that I am until I saw this movie. And prior, I I agree with you, and I'm I'm the same way actually. So and I ahead. think. I think prior to this, you know, a lot of my familiarity with the character really stems from the, 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 the Fleischer Studios cartoons that came out way back when in the 40s, because I had them on tape when I was a kid, and then also um, Superman the Animated Series. And prior to seeing Man of Steel, the only other Superman movie that I had ever seen in a movie theater was Superman Returns. And, well, that's that. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the it, politest way, that's that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's it is what it is. I thought Brandon Routh did a fine job, and I thought Kevin Spacey was fine. As I, I thought, the movie was fine. Like, I it didn't really knock my socks off. It didn't really like speak to me on a Superman level. I guess it wasn't really what I saw as Superman. But then I came across this film, and it, it's funny because coming off of The Dark Knight, and a friend of mine from college who was a pretty huge Superman fan, way bigger than I was, he he was the one who really just sold me on the concept. Um, back then, I was kind of, what's the word here, critical in regards to how Nolan adapted the character of Batman and having it being in a hyper-realistic world, but then, you know, the, 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 the general story of this movie was conceived by David Goyer and Christopher Nolan, and the, and the, the basic premise of it was you know superman being introduced to the world around us as if he were to drop from the sky today and it essentially like superman in a real world and i was like well that's never really been done before because the last five movies were very much akin to how richard donner and you know so the subsequent directors did it and then of course superman returns it was just more or less in that world that was created as opposed to trying to establish Kal-El clark Kent in the real world and i think that's what really grabbed me and then the marketing for it slowly started to trickle out i think december of 2012 um i think that the third trailer is really what what really enticed me the most you mm -hmm. know everything from this film you know seeing it opening night and it's funny because I, I can remember that summer very clearly of superhero films there was there was iron man 3 which came out in may there was man of steel which hit june and then later on in the year, in the fall, I believe, was Thor The Dark World. And of the three, this one managed to be my favorite. And it really reignited a love for Superman that I had kind of lost. Because for a long time, my, my Superman was, you know, George Newbern, Tim Daly, the animated series conceived by uh, Bruce Timm. And this, this film, to me anyway, it really feels like a, a really solid blend of like the Fleischer Studios cartoons, the Superman, the animated series, and even a lot of the Superman stuff that I'd read in, in graphic novel or comic book form. And, you know, the film itself, I can still remember to this day, like seeing it even tearing up towards the end when Clark has to make that really tough decision. And I remember even just like getting really excited seeing the, like during the final fight when when 
Superman gets thrown into the satellite and you see the Wayne Enterprises logo on it because that right there kind of hints to the fact that this movie would potentially kickstart a much larger universe and the idea that Batman Bruce Wayne because I'm a huge Batman fan was somewhere in this world really excited me yeah um for me my journey is a little bit different I think we've talked about this a little bit before but at the time that this came out I actually didn't like superhero movies um I didn't really care for a lot of the Marvel films and this is speaking in past tense because a lot of this has changed but I guess I just didn't really connect with them um I, I think you and I've talked about before like I I worked at a comic shop when I was younger but the comics that I tended to read were either like comics that were um you know more like memoir based on like the author's own life or mm -hmm. you know uh more indie stuff or uh I, I read a lot of manga so that was what I, I was reading um and it was just very different from the superhero comics um so I didn't really watch a lot of superhero films so I didn't see this one when it came out uh, but I remember that actually, I think it was my husband's idea to watch Man of Steel. Nick was like, hey, I heard this is like different than a lot of superhero movies. And so we were like, oh, OK. So we like watch it. And I was amazed by how much I liked it. I was like, wow, I this really resonates with me. I really like the way that the story of Superman is told. Um, I realized that I liked I guess something, some movies that were considered maybe a little bit more serious, maybe a little bit darker. And that's kind of what appealed to me about this movie. Um, and, you know, that's also been a criticism of it, right? You know, people right. are like, oh, it's too influenced by the Nolan trilogy, which I love. So even though I say that I didn't watch a lot of superhero films, I don't even count the Batman ones because, I mean, number one, who isn't a Batman fan? But number two, I think that those movies are different from a lot of superhero films as well because they're a little bit more grounded and they were gritty. Now I say they were because I feel like superhero films mean so many different things now, but in the time when this came out, they kind of didn't. So I really, really liked this and it kind of, like you, you used a great term earlier, uh, you know, it ignited my interest in watching more and it pulled me into the DC fandom and honestly probably wouldn't be doing this show <laughs> if it wasn't for movies like this. So yeah, I have to give this film and DC comics as a whole, a lot of credit for, uh, my interest in, in podcasting and for pulling me back into a fandom. I think I was really looking for a fandom to get excited and passionate about. And it kind of, it was like, man, there's this whole world that I kind of didn't know was right here under my nose. And so I think this, this movie did that for me. You know, you mentioned that you were a fan of the Dark Knight trilogy for being very dark and grounded and being very gritty. And it's, it's funny because you, as you know, I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a pretty big Batman fan and that had a large influence on me growing up in my teenage years where I was a pretty dark teenager. Like I, I wore a lot of dark clothes. I was very, you know, brooding like Batman. And I just, you know, was not very much into the light or into, into hope and optimism or anything of that caliber. So, after watching this movie, I almost had like kind of a, a revelation of sorts, if you will. Like I had a, a perspective change on what it meant to find yourself because the themes in this movie are so profound and so inspiring. I mean, 
having to ship your child off from your dying planet to a whole other planet where people will either look at him and love him or hate him for what he is and leaving him to decide what kind of fate he wants to decide for himself after coming to the conclusion that hey you're going to come to this planet you're going to get a whole bunch of powers because the sun is going to give you nourishment that you wouldn't normally get under our sun and it's just the a lot of the ideas of this movie really just resonated with me in, in, in ways that I think are ring they ring true to who Superman is dating all the way back to 1938 when he was first introduced. Yeah, I feel like this movie made certain themes and aspects of Superman's personality accessible to someone like me that, you know, didn't read all the comics and didn't invest all that time. I think that that rich backstory was already there. It's just that in movie form, a lot of times we got this more, um, I mean, Yes, it's, I guess, more optimistic, but it's also less detail, you know, in terms of his origin. I think, you know, a lot of the older movies were kind of, and and this isn't to say they weren't good, because obviously they were really good, but um, it was more like, okay, here's, you know, him now, and he's a hero already, and, you know, yay, and it's like a lot easier to follow than like, I think a lot of what this movie puts into it. I think modern day audiences... Uh, look at these projects a little bit differently and so you know Zack Snyder put more of that in here for for this version of Superman but you know even though I said this was a little more grounded a little bit darker I do want to stress that I I kind of disagree that it's a dark movie because I think that there's a lot of optimism and uh and positivity in this character it's just that they're giving you the full picture of what happened to him it's not all positive, but he himself is positive, you know? 100%. Like, he, you see it through the movie. He's, as it's echoed in the sequel, he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. Right. In and every, and I, oh, go ahead. And Yes. Like, I think the thing that really comes to mind immediately, the one that gets, ironically enough, the one that gets a lot of traction on Twitter you see some certain people defending the guy from from the the gas station or the restaurant or whatever who who's. Blank. I saw your tweet today, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It's like you know <laughs> the dude was sitting there being a total jerk to this waitress, and Clark totally like takes takes the gruff from him. But then dude goes outside and sees that his truck is totally thrashed, and I I think to myself like you, you totally deserve that. You don't get to treat people the way you treated them in that restaurant and then not expect any kind of consequence. And you see just some people on Twitter have a fit about it. Like, man, that was his livelihood, man. That wasn't right. That was his truck. And I'm just like, are we just going to completely ignore the fact that this guy is just a total jerk to like, well, it, it's baffling, but funny. Yeah. And plus, I mean, I feel like this, the man of steel movie is him becoming Superman. I think it's yep. weird that when audiences don't allow characters to become who they're going to be they don't allow them to go on that journey i mean isn't it okay for him not to be 100 percent perfect all the time i mean i know that sometimes he I, there are some like christ-like metaphors in here but he's not jesus you know like he's not perfect so like i think it's okay for him to like have moments of anger have I was just thinking, actually, Jesus had moments of anger. Uh, anyway, but yeah. the point is, I think it's okay for him to get to Superman. Like, he's not there yet. It's okay. He starts out as Cal, as Clark, and eventually he's going to turn into the hero that that we're going to, um, that we all know and love or, you know, that we expect. Um, but I think it takes a couple movies, and I, I like that about this version of Superman that, you know, he doesn't automatically 
just be a perfect person. Um, so I did want to mention a couple of quick facts before we dive in too much further. This is a good discussion, but I want to throw out my quick facts real quick. Uh, the first one I have is that in a flashback scene in which Clark Kent is being bullied, he's seen reading the Republic by Plato. Yep. Uh, in the Republic, Plato describes his perfect society, which mirrors the makeup of the Kryptonian society as given here. Uh, most obviously, um, obviously, uh, both societies have preordained births in which people are born into roles such as leaders, warriors, or farmers. Is that consistent with the comics? Like, is is that the Kryptonian society similar? Is that kind of like Zack Snyder's take on it, or? I th- I want to say that that was I I'm not super familiar with it, but I do have a few copies of John Byrne's run from '86, the Man of Steel stuff. Like I do have a few issues of that buried somewhere in my storage unit. But I I want to say the 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 aesthetic was definitely pulled from that. But as far as you know, having having Kryptonian society be be pre what's the what's the word I'm looking for here predetermined having the society having their people be born of you know modified genetics and having their roles predetermined i want to say that that was a thing that was for the movie but i'm not 100 percent. that's an interesting take but it's one that i like because it it, when you bring up that and then you have the juxtaposition of clark kal-el being the natural born kryptonian in over thousands of years that absolutely also kind of aligns with the whole jesus metaphor as well and you know it's Mm -hmm. it's, almost like an immaculate conception yes (laughs) yes and then having him be the one to you know go to it and also that moses synergy of having him being sent down the river path but 100 percent. i mean it's it's really cool honestly i i like those parallels i think they're smart to pick up on and they're interesting um, and then it's also kind of gives the the Kryptonians a sort of Atlantean like quality where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they they experimented and did something that led to their destruction, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I like that part of it, too. I just think all those layers really helps, you know, someone again, someone like me that doesn't really know a lot about um, Superman's origin and it immediately I'm able to like understand where they're going because I understand what, you know, Zack Snyder's drawing on here. Yeah. I mean, even the first 20 minutes of the movie, I I would say is probably the most detailed version of his origin. You're probably ever going to get, I mean, all of Krypton looks spectacular. It honestly is kind of reminiscent of even the Donner film to some extent in in terms Uh, of, yeah, I agree. Like how the city of crypt, how the, it's Kandor. Yeah. How the city of Kandor, even just the overall planet, you know, you had these super high towers that were kind of above ground, but the majority of everything else was like kind of below ground through these like crevices. And it was more like inside the planet. I think that was very much inspired by Donner to some extent or another, but that could be a thing from the books. I've only read a handful of Superman books. I've read Superman earth one. I've read the death of Superman. I've read um, birthright by Mark Wade think it was mark wade yeah that sounds about right i'm probably wrong but i don't know uh if anyone wants to correct me feel free no you're right i actually that was my next fact the idea that superman's s shield means hope is taken from mark wade superman birthright comic the s shield is the kryptonian symbol for hope superman 1978 created the concept of the shield being a kryptonian herald of the house of l 
Well, there you go. My yeah, memory so did not fail. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't doubt yourself. You've got this. Um, but yeah, so that those are those were my two main facts that I just I out of all the ones I read, those were the two coolest that I saw. I think the irony of this film is that it is everything that certain people wanted from Superman Returns, and yet it in turn got the criticism that it now got for not being another follow-up to that Donner franchise. That, that yeah, I think two key things. You touched on one of them already. Um, one really hot-button issue was Superman sort of in acting out of quote-unquote character uh, by their standards. And then the other thing is, you know, the end. We'll, we'll get there. But that was, I feel like those were the two biggest, you know, people had a really hard time with. Well, um, you know, I and has continued to kind of follow it around to this day. You know, I think you brought up a really good point too. You know, people just kind of want their heroes to just kind of drop down and be who they are in a movie. And I think that's what, re- what people really want from this version of Superman. But the thing is, like, this movie is literally his first few days on the job. Like, we see him. Yes put on the suit and perform the first flight talk to his biological father even though it's in holographic form which i will say that russell crowe is phenomenal as jor-el matter of fact i I would i would even say that the whole cast of this movie is just handpicked beautifully in every role yeah 100 percent. i think the cast is a really strong part of this film and you know i kind of wonder i don't know tell me what you think about this I almost feel like this movie would play better if it came out right now. It may, it might, it very well might. I've seen that same kind of sentiment echoed towards the Watchmen film. A lot of people say that. Yeah, 100%. In a world where we have like the boys and honestly, even shows like, you know, Loki and WandaVision mm-hmm. and I, um, I don't know, Umbrella Academy. There's so many, yeah. but I just feel like there's more shows now that give characters time to like evolve who they're going to turn into eventually. And like audiences are more used to that. Whereas I feel like when man of steel came out, you know, the, the frame of references we had were so different. They were either like, you know, I love, I mean, Iron Man is not an unflawed character, but I, I, that is a lighter film. Right. And so I feel like that is what everyone was kind of dialed into. And it just took a long time for people to, understand that there's just many different definitions for a superhero film and so maybe they would actually be this film differently now if it came out you know it's funny today. like if you, if you think about the superhero film spectrum at in 2008 it was essentially given the spectrum right like you had the dark knight on one end of the spectrum and then on the other end of the spectrum you had iron man that's literally where your spectrum can fall in regards to where your superhero film could be because those were two of the highest most anticipated films they were very well regarded they were very well received for what they did like you know chris Nolan took batman and the joker and brought that to life in a way that hadn't been done since 1989 and made an iconic film that was set in a grounded world that you could feel was serious and believable and then on the other side of the coin you had marvel studios kick off their cinematic universe with iron man which they didn't even have full 100 confidence in because they were just like hey let's just see if this happens and if it works out and it did in their favor but to your point like iron man is a much more lighter film in comparison to something like the dark knight and i really do feel like that those two films really had a big hand in shepherding where comic book and superhero films went forward 
and then you get to say like 2012 that summer had like you know it had the ending of the dark knight trilogy with the dark knight rises it had the culmination of iron man thor and captain america with the avengers along with the incredible hulk and then you also had the reboot of spider-man which was kind of panned for being darker like taking basically getting this a little bit of the same kind of criticisms that man of steel got in regards to it being darker and more serious taking the batman dark knight route and and then you get to the next year and it's just been kind of a back and forth but i would argue that man of steel kind of falls somewhere right in the middle between the dark knight and iron man that's kind of i i I put it i think people had a hard time picturing somebody with powers and like all this you know, this sort of sci-fi and fantasy element Mm -hmm. in a grittier world. Like they weren't able to see that yet. You know what I mean? Like they could, they could handle Batman being in in a darker, grittier uh, earth, but they couldn't handle Superman because to them, Superman meant something specific. But now that we're so far away from that time, it's like, yeah, like you said, there does, there can be a spectrum of things. It doesn't have to be, either one or the other it can be in the middle like this one um and and you know earlier what i said was not meant to criticize you know uh, iron man in any way because even though i didn't gravitate towards those types of films at the time that doesn't mean that they weren't good obviously they were very good and like people love them and man it still kind of helped me like something in the middle kind of helped me see like oh okay i can see like both sides of this and it kind of opened up my world to, to seeing more of both. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you that it's more in the middle than I think people give it credit for. You know, you also mentioned that you're a huge fan of anime. And the one of the, the highlights of this film is that a lot of the fight sequences are very reminiscent of fights you would arguably see in something like <laughs> yes. Naruto yes. Shippuden or Bleach or even Dragon. I, th- I see Dragon Ball more than anything in, in a lot of these fights. because Right, and, like and the that- giant, like... You know, it, it seems impossible. This tiny little speck on the screen is creating like all this mayhem. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe that's part of why I was drawn to it, honestly. Yeah. And that's that's I think what, you know, Snyder was going for, because he he when you think about the Kryptonian heritage and when you think about Kryptonian biology as it's presented to us via, you know, comics or television or even in movie form, like when they are under a yellow sun, they they're they're the way they they operate is very much excuse me heightened yeah they're like a battery right like being revved up or whatever by the sun right and so when you pit someone like superman against someone like say general zod or feora and you have them fight on our planet you know it's it's not gonna be if you think about it from a realistic perspective and here's where people kind of fail to understand it and it's really funny too because they're totally fine with like Superman crushing General Zod's hand and throwing him down a crevice in Superman too. But God forbid he snaps his neck. That's a whole different conversation. Oh but- gosh. That's <laughs> like, you know, Batman shouldn't fire a gun or shouldn't kill someone or, you know, exactly. It's like, exactly. It's like, I don't know. I, I just, it, it's hard for me to get that emotional about the characters doing things like that. Like I can have like a preference, but I'm like, okay, whatever I think that character should do, like this is this particular filmmaker's interpretation. So right. I just kind of go with whatever they, and I felt like, anyway, I'm, I'm going too far. Anyway. Go oh ahead. no, I, I absolutely <laughs> understand where you're coming from. But like, you know, when it comes to them fighting in, in particular, like I, I really don't think it would just be cherries and cream. Like, you know, they fight in a desolate wasteland. Like, no, 
they're Zod and his insurgents are coming to invade. So the only one who can stop them is a dude who literally found out he had powers the week prior. And so it's not going to be him being able to try and, and you know they do he does try to take Zod in space towards the end of the fight and it doesn't well actually Zod throws him up in, into space and that still doesn't work because he, they come crashing back down to the planet my point is like if they were to fight in the real world there would be real world collateral damage consequences and it wouldn't just be contained to just one specific spot I mean again you know these are super powered aliens from a whole other planet who can fly and punch faster than a bullet like it's 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 mayhem i i actually felt like that was kind of the point like all the destruction they were causing because they're so much more powerful than everyone on earth is why he had to snap his neck Mm -hmm. like like the whole point was you know they they can't just fight it out and it not cause more and more and more damage so like in a way, that's why he has to end it right then and there. Because if he continues to fight him, it will con- they will continue to destroy more and more buildings. More people will get hurt. It's not a fair fight. Zod is more exper- experienced than you know Clark is. He, in a lot of ways, he has the upper hand. So he had to make a split second decision. And then the other part of it is, um, you know, I think he's kind of like wrestling with who he is, and that moment where he chooses human beings over Kryptonians is really powerful because he's basically saying like, I'm with them, you know, um, in a huge way. And that was the question pretty much being posed to him throughout the entirety of the film by Jor-El. He's like, you know, we, we gave you up to give you the option to be who you wanted to be. We sent you to a planet because we knew that you could breathe a bit. You could, and I'm paraphrasing here. He, he tells him, you know, you can be the bridge between two peoples. Yeah. And he even tells Lara where, before they even send him off because she goes, what if they kill him? And he, I, he, Jarrell tells Lara how he'll be a god to them. And the irony there is like, I, I know that the next film, you know, they talk about like what kind of person Superman is and there, that's a driving point in it. But that's been a mainstay through the character through for a couple different iterations. Like he, he's, he doesn't superman doesn't perceive himself as god to humanity all he wants to be is again you know he he's just a dude in a blue suit with a red cape trying to do the right thing because he was raised in kansas to be a decent human being like it before the powers came the man and before all of that that was above all what jonathan kent wanted to instill in him And, and you know I think the way that Jonathan Kent's portrayed in this movie by Kevin Costner is, is probably one of the most realist you you're going to get. I mean, you know, with the version that was presented from Richard Donner, and I forget who the actor was back then, but um, they didn't get too much screen time, but he dies of the heart attack. And here in this film, it's more of um, it. He dies by a tornado and it's very much like what it was. It's one of those things that, that got criticized heavily for, but I feel like it's a strong, way of showing that superman despite all his powers despite everything that he can do there are just some things that are out of his capability and jonathan kent putting his hand up shaking his head like no if you save me basically kind of telling him like if you save me you're going to out yourself to the world and the world's not ready for it and i don't want to put you through that so let me die so you can stay safe was the writing clunky 
that's debatable. I don't really think. Yeah, I don't know if I love how it was executed, if I'm honest. Like, I do think that's one criticism I, if I could pick one or two I had of this movie, I didn't love that part. Um, But I see what you're saying. And I do think that it is good to show Superman not, you know, that his powers can't fix everything. Right. Um, And that he has to make painful choices and sacrifices. And that's part of of his journey. So I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn on some, on some levels. I, I don't like how that played out, but on the other hand, I definitely see what you're saying. I think for me, I go back to the maybe line. I think that is one of the few lines in the film that could have been reworked or done a little differently when young Clark and Jonathan have that conversation outside after he saves them from the, the drowning bus. Oh yeah. Cause that one definitely caught a lot of flack and I can understand that one just a little bit, but the tornado mm-hmm. one, yeah, I, I get it. I think I liked it for what it was. I I completely saw what they were doing with it. But yeah, I, I completely understand that it could have been executed. And that's that's no pun intended better. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I, I agree with, you know, on the whole what you're saying. I, I like, you know, his journey um, in the movie. And so I think it I think that it was done well overall. Um I don't think we've talked about Zack Snyder himself yet. So maybe we should do that. Um, oh. I mean, what is there to say, right? Like that everyone listening to this hasn't already heard, um, yeah. you know, he's definitely a name that you just say it and it invokes a lot of different uh, reactions. Yep. Um, but sure. I, <laughs> but I have to say, you know, I, 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 I had, I have actually in my closet an I love Zack Snyder shirt. I don't know that I would necessarily align myself with everything that that has come to mean at this point, but I will say that I'm a fan of his movies. Um, I think this is probably one of my favorite movies he's made. Um, I really liked Watchmen a lot. Also, maybe I like that one a little more. I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? It's very tough. Um, I, I love BVS as you know, um, I can sit here and acknowledge that it has issues, but I still love what it did. So, I mean, I have to say I, I like more of his movies than I dislike. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, it's funny. It's really funny. The first Zack Snyder film I think I ever watched, I, th- I want to say it was either Dawn of the Dead or Watchmen. It was one of those two. I did not get the pleasure of seeing 300 in theaters or as a matter of fact, I, it's been a long oh, time. Oh, I saw 300 in theaters, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I liked that one too. But I remember watching Watchmen for the first time. I had not read the book. This was before I had really started collecting graphic novels and comics heavily. So to me, Watchmen was another superhero film, but I had seen images and I had seen, you know, excerpts and seen, you know, clips and seen, you know, the comparisons. And I thought, wow, this is unlike anything that I'm really used to. This is unlike anything I'm familiar with. This is not your typical Batman. It's not Superman. It's not Spider-Man. It's not the X-Men. It's nothing like that. It's a complete 180 from what I was used to. And really watching it for the first time, the one thing that I was really just astonished by was the visuals and how just crisp and accurate it looked to what I had seen of the comic at the time and then going back and reading the book sometime later in college and then watching the movie again and just thinking to myself like wow he really nailed it he I mean the ending's a little different there's no why there yeah I I don't you so 
okay, I have to take back what I said before a little bit. I did take a graphic novel class in college, weirdly, um, and we read Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed an English credit. That's why I took it. Um, and we read Watchmen. And even though I didn't read a lot of comics, um, I loved that book. I, you know, I bought it for the class and I absolutely loved it. So when I saw Watchmen the first time, I was like not happy with the ending <laughs> because mm-hmm. I liked the ending in the book. Um, and I liked that it was set in the Cold War and I wanted it to stay just like that. So I had a hard time with that big change. But visually, I think, you know, it was a beautiful film regardless. I just didn't like the ending. That's fair. I think for me, it it probably worked a little bit better for me because I had not been familiar with the book yet. And over time also, I've changed my mind on that. I think it could have been my age at the time when I saw it that I was being, I don't know, difficult. I mean, hey, you know, I, I used to be very, very, very critical of the Dark Knight franchise. Let's let's be realistic here. I was not kind to that last movie for a long time. So I yeah, I wasn't crazy about that last one, but it had good points. I, you know, but yeah, same thing. I've kind you of know, come around. <laughs> but going back to, to Snyder, you know, I would say now he is without question, I would say my favorite filmmaker right up there with John Carpenter. I loved... I still love to this day a lot of what John Carpenter does, and I love Halloween. I think Halloween for a long time was my favorite film ever made. It's my favorite slasher film ever made. But I will say without question and with absolute certainty that Zack Snyder has made my favorite superhero films, no question. And I think that the the trilogy that he has between Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, and then of course Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think there between the three there is no bad one. But in, in that same sense. I'm kind of at a standstill of which one is my favorite because they're all just so beautiful in in one sense or another. But I kind of have to go back to this one, Man of Steel, and think, you know, this is really where it all started. And it's funny because, you know, after Superman Returns didn't quite do what Warner Brothers wanted it to do, for, for lack of a better phrasing there, you know, they were really kind of kicking around what to do next. And I'm not surprised that after getting so many pitches from so many other different people that of course they land on the one with Christopher Nolan and David Goyer bringing that concept to them. And they're like, okay. And I I want to say that they might've tried to court Nolan to direct the film. And I'm not at all surprised that he declined it because that is just, it's not a Nolan film. Exactly. You know, I've heard him talk about, you know, doing Batman and that was enough because I don't think he'd ever want to do something like Superman, but it was Nolan who got Snyder to do the job. Well, like Nolan won't even do like a Bond film, right? Like he's just basically like, I'm done. I'm not doing stuff like he that anymore. Already did with Tenet, so yeah, <laughs> I'm very cool much. With so. it, you know, yeah, but it's just it, it's not his brand, and I I agree with you. I think that you know I hope that over time, once we kind of get away from uh, if you know if we ever get away from all this like constant drama on Twitter, um, <laughs> which I mean, we, you know, we all know Twitter's a dumpster fire, but anyway. Um, you know, as we get away from that, <laughs> I wonder if people will look at these films differently, you know, with Zack Snyder's, um, I think all of the stuff he's done has been very visually appealing and interesting and different. And yeah, it's stylized. I feel like that's, you know, this happens to directors that, ch- that are very specific about how they choose to tell something from, mm-hmm. uh, especially with visuals. Um, you know, I'm thinking of your Wes Anderson's, your, um, 
you know, other directors like that that are extremely stylish, Guy Ritchie, you know, people tend to sort of pigeonhole them and go like, oh, like, I don't like this style. And so therefore I hate this. It's too much this or that. And I'm like, yeah, but over time, I mean, that's that's what gives directors like their trademark, you know, and I think we look at it differently several years later. Like, I mean, a, a very highly stylized director, you know, is like someone like Kubrick. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that they're the same, you know, but, but they are very stylized. And so, you know, I think that's looked at differently now than probably when it first came out. So hopefully people will, after all, all this stuff on the internet calms down eventually, you know, uh, maybe look I, at it differently. I kind of liken Zack Snyder to George Lucas in certain respects in that I, I feel personally that he's a, a modern version of George Lucas to some extent or another. He's very much carved out his own corner in cinema where he's left his own trademark and he's become very known for what he does. And, you know, he's very prominent for his just top notch visual eye, his very specific slow motion cues and his very just gritty i guess gritty would be the yes slow motion people criticize that i'm like i mean for someone like me i guess i like seeing stuff slowed down because i i want to see like all the details and in Mm -hmm. reality i mean it happens so fast like well i mean the one shot like that the one shot that immediately comes to mind is right in the middle of the fight between man between superman and zod towards the end superman gets thrown through couple buildings in metropolis and like you see it stops on superman for a moment as he's coming out of a building you see glass in midair you see him kind of hovering you see the cape and then boom like a train zod comes and they continue to fight it it's such a beautiful moment because there's a lot of disaster there which is ironic but yeah yeah and i also think that um it gives you a chance to really look at everything the way you would if you were like reading a comic book because that's what's missing in these movies a lot of times is, you know, they're happening in real time. But when you're reading a comic book, you're like looking at all the art on the page and all the detail. And so I feel like those slowed down moments get to show you, you know, those things. And even to your point of like looking at, at, at comic book panels and really just getting lost in one panel or another, I feel like there's a lot of that in this movie, even kind of jumping back to the beginning of it, when you first lay eyes on General Zod and he, you know, stages his coup and he takes out the first leader of Krypton and he, you know, we're disbanding the, the, the Kryptonian hierarchy. What I don't really remember the, the phrasing there, but someone just bellows, you know, under whose authority and he just says mine and shoots them. It's like that. You could see that being a panel in a graphic novel where he yeah. where see the shadow of Zod, hold up a gun blast and then boom, you see the fire and you, and you see the person fall from the throne. Mm hmm. 100%. Well, I feel like we've kind of skipped around uh, to different parts of the movie, but do we want to talk a little bit about the cast too? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's start with Henry Cavill. <laughs> Henry Cavill is my Superman. Hashtag Henry Cavill Superman all day, every day. And I, I, I say that as no disrespect or slight to, you know, Christopher Reeve or Brendan Routh or anyone else who has taken up the mantle of Superman. Um, I just, I really like what Henry Cavill brought to this character. You know, the journey that he takes Clark on, seeing him, you know, kind of go through the, the the different motions and seeing him how, seeing how he reacts to certain situations before he even becomes Superman, like in the beginning of the movie where he's on the boat and then wandering off after dealing with that jerk at the, the 
restaurant and even, you know, kind of coming back home and even saving Lois Lane from, you know, that Kryptonian robot assistant. It's not Keelix, it's a different one, but, you know, when they find the ship in, in what is it, Antarctica? That sounds right. I want to say it's Antarctica, but I could be wrong there. Um, oh, it's, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. It says Canadian Arctic. So, oh, okay, okay. There you go. But, you know, there's there's really just a, a sincerity there with his performance, but then there's also just the stoicism that shines through, too, when he's in the suit. And I really do love that he was able to really portray this, this earnestness, but also this reservation of, you know, I have all this power. What am I going to do with it? Like, that, that, I think, is something that is really tough to capture when it comes to Superman. Mm-hmm. How do yeah, you I agree. Him? I mean, he's very statuesque, so, like, I mean, looks-wise, he looks like a comic book character. I mean, he, he like, embodies, I think, what Superman looks like more than any other actor, in my opinion. Um, but also, his performance is nuanced and complex, and I, I enjoy it. I have to agree that he's probably my favorite one. Yeah, I don't think I have anything bad to say about it. I know he was chosen from the immortals film that's where i think oh okay Zack snyder became aware of him he saw him in an immortals and he thought that's that's who i want to be as superman and he even tested in the christopher reeve suit that was really what what oh got a lot of people like yeah that's that's superman like there's a there's a black and white photo of him sitting in in uh i think his dressing room at snyder snapping a picture of him in it so oh that, very cool yeah yeah, that one's how, how about uh, Amy Adams? What's your take on her as Lois Lane? You know, Lois Lane's kind of a firecracker character. You know, she's always got to be, you know, she's essentially like, you know, the, the, the most common love interest you could find for Superman or has been the common interest, love interest for Superman throughout the years. And I think that's a that's not a complex role to pull off, but it takes a lot of whip smart. You need someone who's super whip smart to play that role because she because the character of lois lane to me has always just been one who's on top of everything and who is more or less always right like whatever she has to say is usually nine times out of ten and in you know coming from a place of being on the right side of morality and i feel like that that there's a lot of with amy adams specifically you know she'd been trying to play the role for a long long time and i oh i, I didn't know that yeah, I want to say she tried out for it in Superman Returns a couple, and I think maybe even Superman Fly. I honestly don't remember, but I know she had been trying to play Lois Lane for a while. But I like her a lot in the role. I think she gives Lois Lane a, a really interesting, intricate personality that's very almost reminiscent of Margot Kidder mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, I, I, I'm not bothered at the fact that she's a redhead i guess that's kind of a deal breaker for some people i don't understand why <laughs> yeah that, that wouldn't bother me i do kind of miss like the more i think margot kidder was a little bit edgier mm-hmm. um in her portrayal and i kind of like that a little bit more but that's just like a personal preference i think lois lane is important because unlike a lot of other superhero relationships i think that their relationship is just more important as a part of superman in general um it's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, the flash and you know iris like yeah. I, you know that's a really important relationship it's central to the story and i feel like with superman his relationship with her is central to the story um also i think she kind of represents humanity in a lot of ways for him like 
she's his bridge to humanity. So I, I think, you know, when she asks him questions or makes comments, she's sort of speaking for the earth, <laughs> you know? And so I think whoever you pick to play that person is important. I think Amy Adams is obviously a very talented actress. So, you know, not taking anything away from that. I, but I think, I don't know. I, I kind of like, I kind of like the the lowest lane that we get in like the the new Superman show a little bit more, but oh, again, I, that's Lois? not yes, yes. Okay. But again, that's not that that has nothing to do with Amy Adams in a lot of ways because I think it's more how that character is written. But I think their relationship in this movie is is especially in this movie, maybe probably I think even more so than in BBS. It's you know important in the movie. You know, I think for me. I think what I really like most, probably less so with her portrayal, but more so with the way the character is written. I like that from the go, she knows that Superman is Superman and that Clark Kent is Superman by the end of the film. I like that. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a different choice. And yeah. it it makes, I think, more sense. I mean, she's a reporter. Exactly. So she's and she's more in investigating investigative journalism, I feel like. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So and I, I like really, that. Yeah. I like that a lot because, you know, it, it really just kind of saves you the trouble of, of like, you know, trying to figure out how this intelligent woman could possibly not know that her reporting colleague is Superman. Like, you don't have to worry about any of that. I like from the go that they establish that they are going to be an item by the end of the film. And then by the end of the film, they, they really do get to blossom with that relationship. And she's the one there who who holds him after he kills general Zod. Like she's truthfully like his anchor to humanity by the end of the film. And I, I think, I think that's very, what's the right word I want to use here. I, I just love it. I think it's a lovely way to have her character be present in this film. And also, you know, there's to your point, like she is kind of his bridge to humanity in a lot of ways. And I, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it, but it's very true. Well, speaking of General Zod, let's talk about Michael Shannon. I mean, who plays a bad guy like Michael Shannon? I mean, <laughs> I love when he's a bad guy. Yeah, me too. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Let's Go to Prison? I have not. Okay, so there's Dax Shepard, Will Arnett, Michael Shannon plays an antagonist in that movie. And it is, it is something else. I'll say that much. It is kind of funny, depending on your <laughs> preference and subjectivity of humor. But you're right, like that nobody plays a villain like Michael Shannon. I would say that he's probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. Well, you know, they say you're only as strong as your villain, right? So. And that was a thing that I think David Goyer mentioned when they were writing the script for the film. They were like, you know, we really, when it came to the antagonist, we didn't really worry about who the antagonist was right off the bat. We wanted to tell a story in which you know it's about a person trying to find themselves and what happens when they're meant to deal with those consequences and what antagonist would kind of fit that bill and general zod was obviously the forefronter of that because he's the very antithesis of everything superman is but in kind of a mirrored way because you know they're both kryptonian super powerful but general zod has a very different perspective on what it means to live and what it means to have you know a whole planet of people at your disposal. So yeah. when it comes to Michael Shannon, like I, I've, 
I've seen him in Iceman. I've seen him in a couple different things, but like I liked his I liked the bad guy he played in Shape of Water too. It's like. a good one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he was also in that actor. eight mile movie with Eminem. Oh man, I haven't seen that in a hot minute. Yeah. I probably didn't even know who he was when I saw that. Kim Basinger's boyfriend. Oh wow. Yeah. Greg, I think. I'd have to Greg. double check that, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but yeah, I I really and this, you know. When I say I really like Michael Shannon as General Zod again, that's not a knock to tear it stamp at all. But, you know, comparatively, that's the only other version you could really kind of look towards in terms of what what you could look for at a live action General Zod. And like, you know, when it comes to Michael Shannon, he really just from the from the start of the film, like he he makes his presence known. He's not messing around at all his his armor it, i mean that armor isn't even real it's cgi but it looks super real and it he pulls yeah. it off really well i think Zack snyder was one of the forerunners of incorporating cgi really effectively you know mm-hmm. and into his design concepts i i really like the way he's done that i'm, I'm you know people might be listening to this and say no there's these other you know but i agree but i just think that he did a really good job of like you know, all CGI suits. Um, what about Russell Crowe, like as Jor-El? We talked a little bit about him already, but yeah. yeah you I... know, Marlon Brando's shoes are big ones to fill. Definitely. For sure. And I think that Russell Crowe absolutely filled them to the best of his capability. I'm not going to choose one or the other. I think they both brought very... Oh, it's... Words are hard for me today too, Lisa, don't worry. I think he brought <laughs> a very profound presence to Jor-El that had not been seen. Cause that's another tough character to really pull off, but he, he had a lot to do in little amount of time. And I think he utilized that time. Well, I would say that he is also a highlight for the film. Cause I mean, Russell Crowe is pretty prominent prior to this for being in like gladiator and a couple other things. Right. So you, Oh, you, for sure. You imagine Russell Crowe, you got to imagine he's going to bring a presence. And he absolutely brought his presence here to Jor-El. And I, I thought he was very well written for, for the most part. And even like, you know, some of his best performance, I would even say, is from the Krypton sequences when he's, you know, telling the Council of Krypton that our planet is doomed and we're going to die with them. But if you give me the Codex, I can save our race. They mm-hmm. don't do so. So he takes it into his own hands and he decides to save Krypton on his own terms. And I, I can applaud that. And even... You know, the the little speech he gives to, to Kal-El as, as a child, as a baby, before they send him off is just endearing. You can't help but almost well up at it. The fact that, you yeah. know, these, these two people are sending off their child in a, into an unknown territory and don't even know if he's going to make it. And if he does make it, they hope the best for him. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, Speaking of parents, let's talk about the other rents. Uh Diane Lane as Martha Kent and Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent. Why did you say that name? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, so Diane Lane as Martha Kent. I, I, okay. So a lot of people did not like, I think Kevin Costner did a great job. as Jonathan Kent, by the way, he's very important in this movie. I think it's part of what makes his death so painful um, when it happens. But I also feel like, it's nice to see Martha Kent shine. I mean, she gets mm-hmm. to have like the bigger moments because of his death. And I think this is the start of a trend. I, I feel like Zack Snyder has in his movies where he focuses more on the mother than the father. 
Um, and maybe that's drawing from his own experience. I don't know, but I, I like it. It's different. You know, I like both of them a lot, especially Diane Lane. I think you got a, you have a really good point there in, in the fact that she does get a lot of time to shine. I mean, especially when, you know, you get that first flashback of when Clark's becoming aware of his powers. He locks himself in a closet and then he, you know, heat visions the, the doorknob. And then, you know, you get Diane Lane coming in and she just gives that that moment of, you know, clarity of like, focus on my voice, Clark. Like, she, the, you need the Jonathan Kent and the Martha Kent there to form Clark Kent to become the Superman that he will become. And I think that Diane Lane and, and Kevin Costner really did well with what they were handed to do. And especially Diane Lane, like, you know, when the Kryptonians come and they, you know, try and bully her and they're giving him the codex she's like go to hell i was like yeah that's that's diane lane just being a total <laughs> ba and i think my first interaction with diane lane had to have been oh might have been dread might have been something else too oh you know what no first movie i ever saw diane lane in was the outsiders oh nice so when she was, I didn't even know that she was cast in, in the role until I'd seen the movie. And I was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then, of course, you know, Kevin Costner. I think Kevin Costner had the had the hardest role because he was playing the concerned father. And that's not typically how Jonathan Kent is portrayed more often than not. And right. I, I think, you know, when you have to give someone the tough conversations to have, especially in this in this situation where you have you know, your son who has this, these massive abilities that defy human logic by all means possible, you know, someone has to let him know like, Hey, you can do these things, but you have to understand that with this power comes consequence and responsibility. And mm -hmm. I think the way that he was written, you know, it's criticized a lot. You know, I, I think even the, the maybe conversation I think it could have been written a little differently, but I still think the point gets across. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, Clark's 12, 11, 13, and he asks his father, he's like, you know, should I have just let them die? And you could see it in his performance. You could see Jonathan, you can see Kevin Costner just kind of wrestle with it. He's like, maybe. And a lot of people hate that line, and I get it. But at the same time, like, I think this is, this might be, you know, kind of overstated a lot in people who do defend this movie, but like, you know, Jonathan Kent saying, maybe you have to understand Clark, like what you can do is going to change the world. He wasn't just thinking about, I'm sure he was thinking about the lives of those kids. And of course he wouldn't want them to die. But at the same time, he's, he's very concerned at like what his son can do. Like at, at this moment, when he's telling his son, this, there is a mother and a son sitting in their house claiming that their child has gifts from God. And this is, that's exactly what Jonathan Kent is thinking about. He's worried about what if ha what happens when someone with official authority comes to my house and tells me I need to take your son or something to that effect. That's what he's really worried about. I agree. It's setting up what's going to happen in BVS. You know, mm -hmm. that scene where he's like, why, you know, what do you say to a mother that says like, you know, why, why not? Why aren't they saving my child? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, once you make the choice to use this power, like how you use it is going to be criticized. I mean, and that's what BBS is kind of all about. Um, so I think that that he's planting the seeds here for that. Um, but yeah, um, I also want to say that he doesn't have a huge role, <laughs> but 
you can't have a lineup with Lawrence Fishburne in it and not talk about him. Oh my God. That's Perry talk White. About, just talk about inspired casting. Yeah, I agree. Like his turn as Perry White was something to behold. I mean, I'm familiar with Lawrence Fishburne from things like Matrix and now even John Wick, right? So Yeah. When <laughs> yes. Saw, when I saw that he was gonna be Perry White, I was like, Oh, that's perfect. He's got the perfect attitude for Perry White and he pulls it off phenomenally in this film. Mm-hmm. Especially when a lot of his interactions come with Lois Lane and a lot of other people at the Daily Planet. I think what he did there, what he was given was just superb. It was absolutely superb in every sense of the word. You know, he, he, when him and Lois are having that difficult conversation, he's like, you could have hallucinated half of this. It's it's just so spot on to how I read Perry, Perry, Perry White in the comics or even see him in another iteration. He's great. I love Lawrence Fishburne in the role. Yeah, so let I me totally ask you, agree. Let me ask you a question. Oh, go, go for it. Are you mad that there's no Jimmy Olsen in this? Um, no, I think because I'm not like a huge Superman fan, that's not something that I would be upset and looking for. Um, (laughs) but very much the same. Yeah. It just doesn't really fit in this particular world. And I think that character is a little bit extraneous in terms of what is being tackled here. You know, he's technically in BVS, right? But very briefly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. I mean, it's a CIA spook, so who knows? It couldn't even be the real Jimmy Olsen. I don't know. Very true, very true. But yeah, um, yeah, that's just yeah I, I wanted to ask <laughs> just because. <laughs> yeah, I know that that's, that's a debated point as well. Well, you know, we've kind of talked about a lot of the important scenes already, but are there some scenes that you really wanted to discuss that we hadn't touched on yet? Yeah, and it's also with an actor that, that I really want to shout out, and that's Christopher oh. Maloney as um, oh, yes. Colonel Hardy. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's one of my favorite actors. I love uh, oh, okay. Law and Order. Oh, like, yeah. He is from Law Yeah, that's right. Law and Order. Like, I love him. I knew he looked familiar, but I don't watch enough Law and Order. I, I've seen him, but that makes sense now that he's on Law and Order. He look he looks like a Law and Order type. Well, one of my favorite scenes is is right after the big fight in Smallville and Superman. Like, it, he saves one of the, the army cadets out of the fallen helicopter. But once everything's all said and done, the Kryptonians take off. Like, Superman steps out from the bank and he's surrounded by all these army unit, all the, all the this unit of army folk. And, and Colonel Hardy, after vehemently just calling him an alien, vehemently just, like, alluding to the fact that this, this, this dude is another alien, like, we're allowed to use deadly force on them. After all this mayhem and destruction, Superman walks out. He's surrounded by the army and Hardy walks up to him and goes, this man is not our enemy. That Mm -hmm. right there is character development. I appreciate that for such a small secondary supporting character, Christopher Maloney's character, because it shows a growth of perspective in terms of he went from looking at Superman as like this, you know, being of destruction to being like, no, he's one of us. Like he, yeah. And I like, that's a good point. And also I feel like it's, you know, it's like a lot of like older, more retro sci-fi movies always have like the military and they're always, they're always in the wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like it's sort of a nod to that because Superman is such a retro character and he's an alien and like, there's just a lot of levels to that. I like that. I think another scene I would probably say is my favorite. Um, You know, the, the, the conversation that him and Zod have right before they have their final confrontation, like Zod gives him the speech of like, you know, you essentially took everything away from me 
and now I'm going to stop at nothing to destroy everything that you love. And Superman just simply responds with, you're a monster, Zod, and I'm going to stop you. And then the the fight proceeds, and then Superman's on top of a building, Zod's at the bottom, and Zod just tells him, this ends either one way, Cal, either you die or I do. And that very much kind of gives him that out you know of yep. like I, to me that was enough permission for for what happens next yes it, you know and, and it's like we could sit here and argue about it but i think at least for the purposes of the movie that's what it was setting up for and i would also like to also shout out the um the sequence where superman is taking out the world engine in the pacific because oh, yeah. not only is there kind of a nod there to Christopher Reeve, because for a split second as Superman is flying up the world engine, there is a split second moment where his face does look a lot like Christopher Reeve's. But mm. that machine, the world engine machine, very reminiscent of technology you'd see from Brainiac. Oh, interesting. And even um, as the machine's getting ready to blow up too, there's a blink and you'll miss it moment. But on the very bottom of the world engine, you see the, the Brainiac symbol, like the, the three circles connected together by the by the triangle. Like you see it at the very bottom of at the very base of that world engine machine. That was always my hope. I, I always wanted to see this version of Superman fight a Brainiac. Yeah, I could see that. Never say never. Um, I'm holding that I hope. also I also like how, you know, a lot of scenes that Zack Snyder films kind of look like a picture or a still mm-hmm. like you could you could slow it down and you know frame the things that he shoots well um I really like the scene where I'm looking at a still right now <laughs> of uh, Superman in handcuffs by the military being walked around and it's like that's such a jarring image and it's also like obviously he could easily break those cuffs mm-hmm. but it just kind of illustrates like his willingness to cooperate. I like that one. Um, I would even say the the opening shot of Krypton after, immediately after Kal-El was born, where the, the the alien kind of yelps, and then you see the couple of suns off in the in the in the distance. I think that. Oh yeah. You could really say that about a lot of Zack Snyder films. You could really just kind of take any frame from them and frame them on your wall. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, I also there was one other scene that I had in mind and it just escaped me and now I feel bad for forgetting it. Darn it. Darn it, darn it, darn it. Oh. The conversation between him and Lois when they're underground with the military and she oh, yeah. she she almost coins the name and then he has a conversation with, you know, Harry Lennox's uh General Swanwick and then um Dr. Hamilton and he basically kind of lays it out for them like, look, I've been here for 33 years. If there were any alien pathogens that were going to infect people, it would have happened by now. Like, I love that little exchange because there's some subtle humor there. And then at that yeah. point, you know, Superman just kind of gets up and breaks the cuffs and says, let's put our cards on the table, General. You can't stop. <laughs> you never will. But that doesn't mean I'm your enemy. And Swan yeah. goes, do you think Zod is? And Superman's like, I don't know. Maybe. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's Man. that's that's another thing. That That, what I love is he's not stupendously confident but he's very just honest about the situation and he's trying to do everything he can to make sure that they're going to be safe and that he's going to do whatever he can to make sure that that's the case and i love yeah that. yeah totally agree well if we've covered the the scenes then i guess that gives leads me to my last couple of questions for you shoot 
Okay, so if you had to summarize this discussion, which was a great discussion, uh, why do you think you love this movie so much, and why do you think why do you think you keep, man why do you think you keep coming back to it? <laughs> I will say that to summarize this discussion, which was phenomenal by all accounts, um, I would say I love this movie because it it really had an impact on me and made me see the world differently, which I think if you have a movie that impacts you in that way, it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And there's not a time where I, every year since this movie's come out where I have not felt compelled to watch it on more than one occasion. I mean, matter of fact, even before we started recording this episode, I just finished it mere minutes before we started recording. So I think it, if you, again, you know, if there's a movie that hits you in, in a specific kind of emotional way, it's going to stick with you for the rest of his life. And that's exactly why I love man of steel. Not even just because it took Superman to such a high level for me, but because it had such that personal impact on me in my life. So yeah, I, I love this movie for everything that it is and continues to be. Yeah. I think a good movie, you know, it sticks with you, like you said, and, um, and you connect with it. And, for me, I really love this movie because it, it did kind of reignite my interest in superhero films. And um, in some some ways, it led to a lot of really positive things, like even in some ways starting this podcast. So love it for that reason. And if you had to pitch this to someone that hasn't yet seen it, what would you say to that person? I would say that if you are looking for a version of Superman that is not by the books or if you're looking for something that is different but familiar if you're essentially looking for something that is not in the same ballpark as your typical superhero film if you want something that's a little different but also very much in that in the middle of that spectrum that we have now this would be the movie that i would suggest this movie is very much um kind of a a a needle mover in some regards to the superhero genre to some extent or another, I would say. Yeah. I don't know if that's think... a pitch, but that's the best I got. <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, like you said, it, it's different from the tr- more traditional, uh, I guess, um, interpretations of Superman while still being pretty true to who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good insider view for someone like me that kind of like wasn't really drawn to like the, I guess like the over like I well you know Superman is often portrayed as like extremely extremely Boy Scout you know I mean mm-hmm. he gets mm-hmm. called that a lot and I kind of like this because it's a little different than that I mean he he still kind of I think ends up being that person but you can see how he got there and I I like getting to see how he got there so if you're interested in that kind of interpretation I think you will like this movie I guess I would even say if you're just a fan of like you know old school Superman, but from a modern context, this would probably be the movie for you. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a really good way to put it. Well, Philip, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Where can people find you? Well, Lisa, it's always a pleasure talking to you about anything at all, no matter what, even if it's superhero or not superhero related. (laughs) You're too kind. (laughs) Right back at you. Uh, If anyone wants to follow me, tell me I'm wrong or right, or, you know, follow along with my musings by all means um twitter vero instagram just at unfiltered you can listen to my shows on podbean or itunes just search for superhero stress for the eternal night 